Thank you for tuning into the Apostolic Pentecostal Church podcast. You are currently listening to one of our iGrow series lessons. If you're in the Bloomington, Illinois area and want to sit in person, feel free to join us Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. for Bible study and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for worship in the Word. Can't make it in person? No big deal. Find us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram and search Apostolic Pentecostal Church. Either way, we'd love to fellowship and worship with you. We hope to see you. How's it going, everybody? Good. Welcome to the first night of iGrow. And uh, if you haven't heard yet, welcome to the biblical parenting class. I will, be, <laughs> I will be your host for the next couple weeks. No, I'm just kidding. No, uh, we're starting the book of Daniel this week. It's a six-week course. And... I would just like to preface by saying it's been an absolute joy to study with Sister Melder and Brother Philip over the past couple weeks. Daniel's an awesome book, and it's been awesome just getting to study it together and to grow in it. But uh, before we go any further, I feel it would be a great job to open up in prayer, ask that the Lord would have his way, and that he would be here with us. Can we help pray? Lord, we love you, Jesus. We thank you and we praise you. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come together as one body to study your word. I pray that you would have your perfect will and your perfect way in every heart and every mind. Lord, we bind everything that would hinder the work of the Spirit in us and through us. Lord, we pray that every word that comes from my mouth, Jesus, would be in, under the unction of the Holy Ghost and in truth. And we pray, Lord, above all things, that we would see you and that the body would be edified. We love you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. And we will not hesitate to give you all the honor. And we said it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. So before we get into it, the main thing we're going to be focusing on tonight is chapter 1 in the book of Daniel, which is kind of as an overview for our series. The book of Daniel is a fascinating, and when you look at everything, it's a pretty much, not pretty much, it is a beautiful book. The first six chapters contain accounts of faith that would inspire both young and old and really anybody that would read them. The last six chapters are filled with apocalyptic visions that challenge even the most advanced Bible students and scholars. It's a book, however, that has been often attacked by different skeptics who deny its inspiration, and it's been abused by many who have taken its visions out of context to support all kinds of wild theories about the second coming of Jesus Christ. But when we properly read it and understand it, the book of Daniel can strengthen our faith in the Lord and His Scripture and inspire us to greater faithfulness in our service to God. A little bit of context about Daniel and his times. This book takes place during the Babylonian exile, which is a period of time when the Israelite kingdom of Judah fell to the Babylonian empire. And many Israelites were held captive in this empire of Babylon. And Daniel was one of these Israelites, and he was also a prophet of God. He was contemporary with two other great prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Jeremiah, Jeremiah excuse me, prophesied in Jerusalem before and after, but, sorry, before and during the Babylonian exile, and Ezekiel prophesied in Babylon among the exiles, while Daniel prophesied in the capital city of Babylon. The name Daniel in Hebrew means God is my judge, which provides a hint of one of the key themes about this book, that God will judge the nations of men. And we're going to see that Daniel was a person of deep and abiding faith in God because he realized this truth. As a youth, he purposed not to defile himself with the things of Babylon, and when old, he persisted in serving God even amongst threats to his own life. And ultimately, we're going to see that God blessed Daniel because of his faith. He rose to great heights in the kingdoms of Babylon and Persia, 
And next to being a great prophet, he served as a statesman and he was even a counselor to some of these kings. Nothing is known of his personal life outside of this book. He descended from one of Judah's prominent families, if not from the royal bloodline. At an early age, likely in his teenage years, Daniel, along with others, was taken from his family to be trained in the courts of Babylon. Whether he ever married or had a family thereafter is uncertain. But some key dates that will provide some insight about the times that Daniel lived in, they're on the PowerPoint there. I know it's a little hard to read, but I'll make sure to hit it for you. Um, in 612 B.C. and then going on to 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, who at the time served as the general for the Babylonian army, defeated two of the main world powers at this time, which was Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria, and then Egypt. And what's interesting is when he defeated Egypt, he chased them through Judah. And at Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar heard of his father's death, and he returned to assume the throne of Babylon. And this is when the first group of Jewish captives were taken, along with Daniel and the three Hebrew boys, back to Babylon. In 597 BC, a second remnant was taken to Babylon, among whom was the prophet Ezekiel. And then in 586 BC, Jerusalem was devastated again by Babylonian forces, and the temple was destroyed. And this is when a third group was taken into Babylonian captivity. But the prophet Jeremiah was at this time still prophesying in Jerusalem itself. In 536, a while passes and Babylon finally falls and the first remnant of uh, Jewish people will return back to Jerusalem. The foundation of the temple was soon started again, uh, even though it was not completed until 516 BC. And this is likely the last event that Daniel experienced in his lifetime. He was among the first group of captives to be taken to Babylon and he continued there over the entire 70 years of captivity. Daniel was certainly a remarkable man. His greatness was recognized even by his contemporary, Ezekiel, in his own respected book. For, from a number of passages, we can deduce the main theme of the book of Daniel, and it's that God rules in the kingdoms of men. In this book, we see that the rule of God is manifested in the days of even pagan kings, such as Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, and Cyrus, who were the kings of Babylon, the Medes, and the Persians. And we also see that the rule of God is foretold to occur in the days of the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. In this book, we learn that the rule of God would be especially manifested with the establishment of God's own kingdom, and that the greatness of his kingdom would be given to us, his saints. As with all scripture, the book of Daniel is profitable for our study. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. From Daniel and his friends, we will learn the power of faith and commitment. Even more so, we're going to look at the amazing truth that this book presents about the Lord himself. So let's get into it. Before we get into Daniel itself, we're going to talk about Babylon. Now, it, it's important to understand that Babylon, these Jewish people are going into a really intense environment. It's a different environment, and it is an environment that really any... Uh, Jewish person or any person that follows God at this time would not want to find themselves in at all. But in order to better understand this environment that they're going into, it's important to go back basically to the beginning, to the book of Genesis. This is right after the flood. This is right after the waters have receded. And God's essential vision and his plan for humanity at this time is for them to be fruitful, to multiply, and to replenish the earth. Well, 
we see in Genesis chapter 10 that this man begun, begins to come to power on earth, and his name is Nimrod. I know what you're all thinking when I say the word Nimrod. You probably have called that name before. But contrary to what we might think, Nimrod was not, you know, the, he was not the sharpest tool in the shed, but he was actually a very powerful man. His kingdom began to grow here on earth. He's actually described as the first earthly king. And the Bible tells us that the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, as in the Tower of Babel or Babylon. So we see Nimrod begin to lead, and Babel is the beginning of his kingdom. And the people of Babel, they begin to form this goal, and they were unified to reach this goal. It was to make a name for themselves, to build a great tower, lest they be scattered across the face of the, face of the earth, and become a great nation. Well, because of this, they, this was essentially the first systematic rebellion that the earth ever experienced, because their desire to become a great nation, to basically stay in one place and build and make a name for themselves, was in direct disobedience to God's command to spread and to replenish the earth and to do God's will. Yes. On top of this, uh, a lot of people have heard of the Tower of Babel. A lot of people believe that this tower in ancient times was known as a ziggurat, and it's actually that building right up there. A ziggurat, uh, from Genesis chapter 11, based on the materials that it's built out of, we see that this temple or this building was built to be waterproof. And I looked it up and it said a common use for these buildings and these structures in ancient times was actually to be shelter from floods. So, not only were these people rebelling against the Lord and rebelling against His will, but they were basically saying, we're going to make sure that God never destroys us with a flood again. We're, like It was basically a backhand to God saying, you're going to think you can judge us? No, you're never going to get us again. So not only are these people being rebellious, but they are essentially trying to get themselves out of, from under the authority and the judgment of God. And even more so, this ziggurat at the top of these structures was usually a temple. And usually in ancient times, this temple was dedicated to be a home for whatever God that it was dedicated to. And it is said that the higher the tower goes, the closer you get to that God and the more you are able to communicate with that God. Well, giving these this people their um, rebellious nature, it's safe to say that they were most likely not seeking better relationship with the Most High God. So this essentially begins generations of idolatry in the earth, especially in Babylon. No wonder the Lord didn't like what was going on in Babel. I always looked at the story of Babel. I'm like, why? Like, they're just trying to build a skyscraper. God, what's so wrong with that? No, there is some intense spiritual applications of what was wrong with Babel and Babylon. And what we see later in the book of Genesis is that God calls Abraham out of this place called Ur of the Chaldeans, which was Babylon. So God is calling Abraham out of this rebellious place, this idolatrous place, this place that is going against his will. God is calling Abraham and his descendants, all of Israel, out of this place. But what we see in the book of Daniel is sadly, the people of Israel are falling back into bondage and the captivity under this nation that God called them out from. So we're going to see that as we dive into the book of Daniel. Let's get it started. I should have prefaced this. You might want to open up in your Bible or on your phone to the book of Daniel chapter 1 and... Uh, follow along because we're going to be referencing it a lot. But would anybody want to help me read 
All of you CMI peeps, <laughs> you might be used to this, but would anybody want to help me read the first two verses in Daniel chapter 1? Phil, do you want to help me? <laughs> Go ahead, David. conquest of Jerusalem, the Babylonian monarch who was originally the general that conquered many nations. King Nebuchadnezzar, he attacks and he conquers Jerusalem. And it's important to note here that God gave King Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. The Bible says that at this time, King Jehoiakim did evil in the sight of the Lord. And during his rule, Judah was currently in a state of idolatry, disobedience, and unfaithfulness to the Lord's covenant. So emphasizing the sovereignty of God in the affairs of nations, Jerusalem didn't fall merely because Nebuchadnezzar was strong, but because God had judged the people of Judah. This isn't an indication of the lack of God's control, but it is an instance that shows the theme of this book that we talked about, that God will judge the nations of men in action. And we see that even God's chosen people are not exempt from judgment. Relating this back to our own day, we can profess to be Christians all we want. But in the end, Jesus Christ still needs to be feared and reverenced as our righteous judge. And he will render, as the book of Romans tells us, to every man according to his deeds. But in the end, we'll find out that God still lays up mercy for his people. There's a promise still on his people that he will return them back to Jerusalem. So, in the midst of God's judgment... There is still mercy for his people. So, we see that Daniel, these Hebrews, including the three Hebrew boys, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, are taken to Babylon. And Daniel, as a captive of Babylon's soldiers, faced a long and difficult march to a new land. I think you can see it on that map right there. Judah and Jerusalem is kind of off to the left. And the red path is the path that they followed over to Babylon on the right. It was about a 500-mile trek. I could barely walk up the stairs at my college without being out of breath nowadays. Imagine walking 500 miles in these harsh conditions in the middle of a desert being captive by soldiers. This surely tested Daniel's faith and the Hebrews' faith. But even more so, we're going to talk about defeat, as the slide suggests, for a moment. There are two tragedies that Daniel is facing right now in his life. Obviously, yes, the conquest and being a captive, but first, it goes back earlier. When Daniel was a child, likely in his teenage years, it, Judah had a king that was currently over it named Josiah. And Josiah is described as a righteous king, as a godly king. Around this time, the book of the law of God is found in the temple. And when Josiah reads it, the Bible says that he literally rents his clothes because he sees the word of God and he measures that up to how his nation that he's ruling over is acting and is in right now. And the Bible says that he just knew that there needed to be change. So the Bible says this is the time, commonly called as Josiah's reforms, where Judah, or Josiah, excuse me, begins to execute 
spiritual, like he begins to set the people on a path of spiritual purity that had never been seen in Judah for a long time. He begins to tear down every idol that he can find. The Bible says that he is executing idolatrous priests. And ultimately, like I said, he set Judah on a path to spiritual purity. And Daniel was likely influenced by Josiah the entire time that he was a child and a teenager. So Daniel was really attached, really reverenced this king. Well, unfortunately, King Josiah is killed in battle one day. Imagine if you lost a spiritual leader, maybe your pastor, maybe your parents, maybe some of you already have. But imagine the defeat that Daniel felt when his king was killed. Not only that, but we see that the successors of Josiah begin to be ushering in this idolatry, this unfaithfulness, this disobedience back into Judah. So not only had his king died, but his home that he had experienced so great spiritual reformation and is now reverting back to its old ways of sin. And then on top of that, he, his family, and a lot of probably his friends are thrust back into Babylonian captivity. Imagine the defeat. I mean, I feel defeat when my baseball team loses. I mean, imagine the defeat and the tragedy that these boys and these Hebrews were experiencing. And now we're going to talk about when they get to Babylon. Can somebody read for me Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 through 5? Verses 3 through 5. And the king spake unto Asphanaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, and of the king's seed, and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored, and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning, and knowledge, and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat, and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Awesome, awesome. So we see that Nebuchadnezzar, when these Judeans, when these people of Judah, these Israelites, get to Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar chooses from among Judah, chooses from among Judah's leading families, their most gifted young men, to basically become Babylon court officials. And this policy was basically enacted to prevent a rebellion, to prevent anybody from the incoming kingdoms to act out, and basically as a contingency plan to protect Nebuchadnezzar's throne. And consider how this applies to Satan and our adversary today. The devil doesn't mess with somebody that he is not afraid of. The Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar chose from the best and brightest of these incoming kingdoms. He chose the best of the best of these Judean kingdoms. That sounds a lot like our adversary today, does it not? He's not going to mess with somebody that he is not threatened by. He's not going to mess with somebody that is not worth messing with. And we see that one way that Nebuchadnezzar attempts to bring these Judeans into Babylonian culture and under Babylonian influence is that he begins to change their names. Daniel, which means God is my judge in Hebrew, his name was changed to Belshazzar, which means he whom Bel favors in Babylonian, and Bel was a chief, was the chief god of the Babylonians. Hananiah, which means the Lord is gracious in Hebrew, was changed to Shadrach, which means I am fearful of God. Of the God, excuse me, in Babylonian. The next Mishael changed 
or Mishael, whose name in Hebrew means who is what God is, was changed to Meshach, which means I am of little account in Babylonian. Lastly, Azariah, which means the Lord has helped me, was changed to Abednego, servant of the god Nebo in Babylonian. So what we see is, I notice that God, the name of God, is in a lot of these Hebrew names. So when Nebuchadnezzar is stripping these kids, these Hebrews, of their, Babel, of their Hebrew names and putting Babylon on them, he is stripping the name of God off of them. He is attempting to strip away their culture, their spirituality, and put Babylonian culture and spirituality on them. Does that not also sound like Satan? Has anybody been baptized in Jesus' name here? <laughs> A lot of us. Otherwise, you would probably be in the biblical baptism class. But, no. When the Bible says that as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. If you've been baptized in Jesus' name, I got news for you. The name of God is now on you. You are walking in the authority of his name on you. You are walking in the power of his name on you. Let me tell you what else you have on you. A big target. A big target for Satan to come after you again. Because not only would he like to strip you of your name, but he would like to put his name on you. And he would like you to walk in the way of his culture and his desires. The devil wants his name on you, not the name of the Lord's. So we see that Nebuchadnezzar is attempting to change the religious loyalty of these young men from Judah's God, the one true God, to Babylonian gods. The mission has now changed from we're going to make a name for ourselves, like back in the Old Testament, to we're going to strip you of your name and put our name on you. But we see that Daniel is going to start resisting a little bit. Can somebody read Daniel chapter 1, verses 6? This is a long one. 6 through 16. Joe, I see you. Do you want to read for me? Ten days. And at the end of the ten days, there 
did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them portions. Awesome, awesome. That was a mouthful, but we're going to go through it. So, in verses 8 through 9, first off, I should say, Nebuchadnezzar is setting up a feast, essentially, for all of these incoming courtsmen in training. And there's a lot of food, there's a lot of Babylonian food at this place, at this feast. And Daniel requests to his head, to his superintendent, that he wouldn't eat of this food, but rather he would eat another food. And he did this because he determined not to defile himself by eating the king's food and wine. So, we are introduced to this idea in Daniel's life that he is living for God on purpose. You know, the Bible says that this race that we run for God, it's a race of patience. You know, a lot of people think that, oh, like when I'm saved and when I, you know, come to God, it's a straight path, it's downhill. No, it looks more like this. It's a lot of uphills and downhills. Everything isn't always great for you. So that means that we have to make up in our mind and purpose in our hearts to run this race, purpose in our hearts to walk in the ways of the Lord. And we see that. Daniel is doing this. In the midst of all this opposition, Daniel still purposed not to defile himself. The king was serving food that no doubt was contrary to the Mosaic law of certain foods that he could eat or could not eat. But another thing with this food is it was customary in Babylon to dedicate feasts and to dedicate food to different idols. So to partake of the food would have been to recognize the idols as deities. And Daniel knew in his heart that there is only one true God. And he knew that God, the name of that God was on him. So Daniel purposed in his heart, I'm not going to indulge in what Babylon is indulging in. And we can relate that back to us today. There are many things that this world and the devil is trying to shut down our throats. There's a lot of values that they are trying to put on, on us. A lot of things that they are just saying, hey, give in a little bit and it'll be fine. But no. We need to make up our mind like Daniel that we are not going to defile ourselves with things of this world. Daniel could have made a lot of excuses. He could have said, God, I just went through a conquest. My family was taken from me. I, my home was taken from me. I'm in this strange place. Let me have a good meal. Let me have a steak, please. But no, Daniel still made up in his mind, God is still in control and I'm still going to honor him with my word or with his word. But we see that there is some reluctance from Daniel's superintendent. His superintendent fears that he will be executed if Daniel doesn't eat the king's meat. But Daniel said, hey, let me go on this 10-day fast. Daniel went on a Daniel fast. That's where we get that from. Where he ate basically vegetables for 10 days. And he's like, give us these 10 days. And you be the judge of who is fairer, who's healthier at the end of this. And the superintendent agrees. So... Daniel goes on this fast with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I just want to point out, I still know them as Rakshak and Benny from VeggieTales. <laughs> so, if I am ever preaching and I refer to Goliath as a giant pickle, you know why. I still love VeggieTales, man. But, they go on this Daniel fast, and we see they have gone through this conquest, they have gone through a defeat. And now they're going through this time of resistance. Let's see how Daniel and these boys begin to triumph in Babylon. Does anybody want to read for me? Daniel chapter 1, verses 15 through 21. 
15 through 21. Go ahead. <laughs> 15 through 21? Yes. Okay. And at the end of the 10 days, their countenance appeared fairer and fatter, and flesh and all the children were, which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Or, I'm sorry, then all the children that did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus, Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink, and gave them hopes. As for these as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and in skill, and all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said, he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in for Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. Awesome. Awesome. So we see, after this ten-day test, after this ten-day basically we're going to prove to you that we don't need to adopt your ways for us to still be healthy. We start to see some results. And these results were that Daniel and his three friends were judged to be healthier than all of the rest of the Babylonian people in training. And all the other people in training. They continue on this diet for a further three years. And we see that even, ne that even Nebuchadnezzar begins to notice their Progress, And he judges that these four men, these four young men, are not only ten times healthier than the rest of the lot, but that they are ten times smarter than all the magicians, astrologers, and enchanters in his kingdom. Has anybody ever noticed in your life that when you purpose in your heart to live for God with integrity, no matter what anybody else is doing around you, no matter what people at your job say, no matter what people in your family may say, you stick to what the Word of God says, and you stick to what God feels like He is calling to you, calling you to do, and you see that God begins to elevate you. I've noticed this, and I don't mean to say this to brag, but I've noticed that when I make up in my mind at school to do my schoolwork with integrity, or to do Bible quizzing with integrity and give it my all, and to do it according to the Word of God, that God blesses me for it, and that not only do I notice God's blessing, but the people around me begin to see it. My professors, who some of them are anything but God-fearing, begin to see, you know, God work. Begin to see God do a mighty thing in, in growing me. And I know a lot of us can say the same thing. So we see that God is elevating these young boys and doing a mighty work in them. And the rest of Babylon is seeing it. The king himself of Babylon is seeing That's, That begs the question, though. Why is God elevating Daniel and the boys in a pagan kingdom. It's because God is getting ready to do something awesome. God is getting ready to show his power in Babylon. He's saying, Babylon, you think you're so powerful? Watch what I can do. Babylon, you think you're so wise? You ain't seen nothing like my wisdom yet. Babylon, you think you're so smart? You ain't seen nothing like my knowledge yet. And we're going to see that God uses these Hebrew boys to show it. God uses them to reach and to show himself in a broken and a godless nation. We see in verse 21 that Daniel is elevated to a statesman. He begins his service 
and Babylonian politics. Verse 17 says, As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. When you live for God, you are going to stand out. Therefore stood they before the king. And this phrase, stood they before the king, means that they remained in the king's court to serve him. They had relationship with this king. They had influence with this king because they purposed in their heart, I'm going to stick to what the Lord says. No matter what this world says, I am going to follow the Lord and honor him. And the Bible says that Daniel served as a counselor to the king from the completion of his training under Nebuchadnezzar until the first year of King Cyrus. And Daniel held his position until the very end of the Babylonian Empire. God is at work in Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. God is doing an awesome thing. So, just in summary, we noticed from the beginning that God was angry with the nation of Judah. He, him delivering them into Babylonian captivity was not a matter of him losing control, but it was his judgment. But we also know that God has a plan to restore Jeru to restore the people back to Jerusalem and to restore his people. God has a plan for mercy. Ultimately, we also learned that the enemy wants God's best and brightest. He will not worry about messing with somebody that he is not threatened by. He will not worry about messing with somebody that isn't already on the right path to begin with. And we also learned that because of that opposition from the enemy, living for God sometimes, not sometimes, always takes purpose. We have to purpose in our hearts every day to run this race with patience and to combat the enemy with God's word and to walk according to his ways no matter what this world says. Also, ultimately, we learned that Daniel's char character, walking in humility, wisdom, courage, and purity, is what is preserving him in this time. It's not because he's walking up and resisting the enemy, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, with your carnality. No, but he's being very respectful and meek in his interaction with the Babylonians. Daniel's character and these boys' character is what is preserving them. Daniel's attitude is noteworthy. His commitment to God, even in the midst of all of this tragedy, what somebody looking in, seeing Daniel walking through all this tragedy, and still living the right path, and still walking for God, is noteworthy. And it's something that we should strive for ourselves. So, uh, when I teach CMI Bible studies, I always like to end it with a discussion, just so we can reflect it back to our own lives. Somebody can share a thought, somebody can share uh, maybe how they are going through certain principles that we talked about in their life. So would anybody like to share anything? Would anybody like to share a thought that was on their mind? Sister Jessica, you got something? Sure. Um, can y'all hear me? Mm -hmm. okay. So I had, you were walking through Daniel and I had a really unique experience today. Um, and, you know, it actually made me think of the story of Daniel. And I wish I would have said this to this, um, to the lady I was talking to, my coworker. I, I went into work today. And I don't know, something told me to go speak to her. Because she's, she's, a, she's a secretary, so they sit a little isolated from our area. So I went and I went and talked to her. And 
right. And she said that she left that school sh like shaking because of her son was I was calling the teacher Mrs. and she kept saying she was a, the person the teacher kept saying that they were not either a Mrs. or a Mr. and that really upset her. And she's like, I'm not really religious. I'm not really religious, but I knew this was wrong. And so it opened up a big conversation with her, and I was talking to her about scripture and how, like, it just really opened up a door, an opportunity to talk about these things. And it's really interesting that out in people who are not, quote, unquote, religious or not going to a church are seeing these things and how God's opening up their eyes. And I, you know... Um, I just, I commended her. I'm like, you're so brave for sticking up to, you know, because the school even was like, why are you pulling your kid from school? No, I'm not switching you from a different teacher. Your kid is staying with this teacher, and that is what it is. And she, and one of the things she kept saying was like, why is the school teaching, putting so much emphasis on sexuality instead of actual education? history, music, the, you know, what, you know, what education is. So I say all of that because this, this actual um, part of the Bible or this book of the Bible really, like as I was talking to Philip and just bringing up some conversation, like people are starting to notice that. And it's really important for us as Christians, as, as God followers, you know, to really start opening up our ears and our eyes and being open to people who are wanting to have these conversations and standing and being that boldness and standing up against what you're saying, the adversary who's trying to change our culture, who's trying to tell us, you know, indoctrinate our, our littles, our children. So I just wanted to share that, that, you know, there are opportunities that are starting to come up now, um, especially with the culture shift and everything. So I just think it's really neat that we're walking through this book and you're bringing these up, these items up, especially as I go back, and I can continue those conversations with my coworkers. Yeah, that's awesome. And when we look at Babylon in the Old Testament and we compare it with our times nowadays, we are reverting back to Babylon. I heard Brother Rashid Collins, he preached at Illinois Youth Convention this, uh, this past year, and he was talking about uh, basically the clash that basically Jerusalem and Babylon have had throughout all generations. You know, the spirit of Jerusalem and the spirit of Babylon. The spirit of Babylon is still at work today, even though the Babylon, the Babylonian Empire fell many years ago. And we see those principles, like Sister Jessica said, they are trying to, you know, constantly indoctrinate us, constantly trying to shove new ideas down our throat and get us to walk according to, you know, their own ideas and values. But, you know, like Daniel did, we need to resist, right? But there's wise ways that we can resist. You know, uh, I'm all for making a stand, all for walking and showing yourself walking in the ways of the Lord. But the Bible says that the meek will inherit the earth, right? There is a way to do this thing. And a lot of times the best way is to be an example yourself. Sister Jessica, you being an example and that woman just even knowing that you're a Christian, knowing that you know you have your kids in a Christian school, is probably a really great example for her, right? Daniel and these Hebrew boys just living the life according to the Word of God, 
Not only did it give them attention, it's going to give them attention of kings, of rulers, of statesmen. And God's going to elevate them to new heights just because they were faithful to his word. And I heard Brother Victor Jackson say one time that in this last day, God is going to elevate his church. God is going to elevate his people that are walking according to his word, that are acting as the spotless bride without wrinkle. God is going to elevate them in this hour and give them influences in places that they never could have imagined having influence before. So, walk according to the word of God and watch what God does. I promise you. I mean, I don't claim to be wise, but I have been around the word of God just through Bible quizzing and through studying to know that once you live a life according to this word, God will bless you. My dad always tells me that God is not a respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of principle. So if you walk according to the Lord's principle, then he will bless you. And he will elevate you and he will give you influence. Not for your glory, but for his kingdom. Right? Amen. Amen. Anybody else have anything they want to share? We have quite a bit of time. I'm not super long-winded. <laughs> Nobody? Yes. away 
and I've had an opportunity many times to talk about God with people and to pray with people over the phone, even agents and people that work for them. And um, that's just been, it's a, there's such a freedom, you know. In the office, you really don't have an opportunity to do that too much, but right. it's, it's been a real blessing. Right. Yeah. I hear preachers say all the time that the world wants what we have, right? And what we're going to see even in the book of Daniel is that the more and more Daniel and these Hebrew boys live life according to God's word and allow God to use them to, you know, to show his glory, the more and more that even these pagan kings are going to give God glory because of what he's doing throughout these Hebrew boys. So God can... Use us to show his glory to other people. And a lot of time, we may be the person that that person needs, right? So, you know, never never be blind to opportunities that God has laid up for you. You know, I struggle with that all the time. Sometimes when I go to my college campus, I just want to get in and get out, go home and take a nap. But God has so much opportunity laid up for us, even with just conversations. So, never... Doubt and never be blind to the influence that God gives you every day. Because it could just be another opportunity for God to show His glory through you. It probably is another opportunity for God to show His glory through you. Alrighty. Anybody else? Any last comments? Sister Julie, you got anything? Uh, I think you did a fantastic job. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very impressed. And uh, I love I just love the book of Daniel. I think that we're here for a reason. I think it's so applicable to our lives and where we're at right now. The uh, spirit of Babylon is in this world. I read a book that said the spirit of Babylon is the, in the heart of people, that it's the devil at work in the heart of people, you know, to deceive them and to corrupt them. And we're definitely up against this right. in these last days. And I think we're going to be so encouraged to see that young men can determine a purpose to live for God and know that they have a purpose, you know, in that kingdom. Right. We have a purpose, even though everything around us seems to be going down. We have a purpose, but we're going to see that precious Daniel bends his knee three times a day mm -hmm. and his heart's going to be set on Jerusalem. And I think that it's very hard to live for God just a little bit. Right. But I think when we, like what Revelation talks about, he is our first love. You know, and it says, he that overcometh will I grant to eat of the tree in the midst of the garden, that tree of life, that we have the abundant life that's in him. And I sometimes, you know, I kind of really try to pay attention to how I think and what I'm thinking. And if I realize that I'm carnal, and I don't mean in gross sin, but if I realize that I'm not really thinking super spiritual, mm -hmm. I'll say, Jill, you're letting go of life and peace. Mm -hmm. Because that's where life and peace is. And I believe Daniel had it in that pagan king. Right. I believe he had it in his heart and in his mind. And I believe he's going to help us to see how to have it. Amen. Amen. I agree. Now, the book of Daniel is amazing. So many applicable and uh, practical truths that we can apply to our lives. And, um, yeah, I just believe that God is going to show us some amazing things through as we go through the book of Daniel. He's going to continue to move in the spirit to distribute his truth to us and implant it in our hearts. And I believe that we're going to bring forth fruit. Amen. Amen. Would you all want to close it out and pray with me? Yes. 
Lord, we love you, Jesus. We thank you and we praise you. Lord, thank you for your word that has gone forth tonight, Lord. I pray that it would be implanted in our hearts, Lord, and that it would not only fall on good ground, Lord, but that we would bring forth fruit. Lord, every day I pray that you would lead us in your purpose, God. Lead us in your plan for our lives, Lord. No matter what we walk through, Lord, as we walk through what may feel like Babylon, Lord, we know that you are still in control, Lord. We know that your kingdom is still coming and your kingdom is here. Lord, we know that nothing can separate us from your love, Lord. Nothing can separate us from your hand. I pray that you would lead us, Lord, lead us in humility, lead us in your wisdom and in your knowledge and in your truth, God. Lord, we are nothing without you. We humble ourselves before you, Lord. We honor you and we give you all the glory, Lord. We pray that you would show yourself to this world through us. We love you. We give you all the praise. And we said it all in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.